With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, and joining me is my co-host, Paul, the summer game, Dennett. Paul, how are you? Manners, I'm great. The international men's cricket season is here. I always look forward to it, and this time it actually exceeded my expectations. Australia were absolutely magnificent. I think it's just about the best I've ever seen an Australian team play in this first T20 against Sri Lanka. What a joy to watch. I love your optimism on this Monday morning, Paul. Uh, So listeners, in this episode, we're going to wrap up that T20 game. We're going to look at the week's cricket headlines. We've got a special feature interview with Jason Gillespie. And then to wrap it all up, we've got our wildly popular new segment, the cricket social media segment. So that's to come. Before that, though, Paul, I just want to tell you that, you know, I was called up by a radio station in Melbourne last night called SEN for those listeners around the world. It's a fairly popular sports station and they were asking me about a tweet I sent out on Sunday afternoon saying Matt Wade should be considered as test captain when Tim Payne retires. It seemed to draw draw the ire of some listeners and the host. Uh, Yeah, what do you think, Paul? I think it's a good call and I actually hadn't thought of it. I've been thinking about, you know, if Smith isn't to be the next captain, who is there? You know, Labuschagne or Carey? But I think Wade is a good call. Now, people would say his uh, reputation as, as a sledger is a problem, and I think that he does sledge too much. But I also think that you can have this kind of um, game, you know, poacher-turned-gamekeeper kind of situation where 
He knows the things that you shouldn't do. He could end up being a very statesmanlike leader for Australia. He's only 31. He could play for many years to come. I don't think it's the worst call. Thank you, Paul. And I just want to sort of flesh it out a bit why I think he's a, a good candidate. Uh, firstly, you and I saw him at Dremoyne Oval captaining Tasmania against New South Wales, and I just thought he looked such a comfortable leader, such a comfortable captain. He seemed to be marshalling his troops. He seemed to bat with a little bit of extra responsibility. So you put that with a very successful stint captaining the Victorian Sheffield Shield side where they won back-to-back uh, titles. Uh, he he does emerge as someone who should be discussed. And, you know, you look at the dearth of qualified people in the Australian team. Warner's ineligible for the captaincy. You know, there's a lot of debate about whether Steve Smith should actually do it and bat all day. And, you know, Travis Head's dropped. So there's not a lot of people that are, are putting their hands up. So I think Matt Wade should be considered. I think he's been unfairly characterised as being a bit of a sledger. And I just think give him a go. All right, Paul, well, let's wrap up the first international game of the summer. Australia took on Sri Lanka at the Adelaide Oval on Sunday afternoon Australian time, and it was their biggest ever T20 win in terms of runs. Australia made 233 for two. David Warner, 100 off 56. Aaron Finch, 64 off 36. Glenn Maxwell, a sleepy 62 off 28. (laughs) And in reply... Sri Lanka were never in the hunt, 99 for nine at the end of the 20 overs. Just an absolute demolishing of Sri Lanka, Paul. What a pleasure it was that we went with no person to build the innings around. We just went hell for leather right from the start. And intelligently, Smith was not put in at number three. Wonderful player. If we're one for five, bring him in. But when we're cruising along... Bring in Maxwell, and what an innings from Maxwell. I'm still beating the Maxwell for test cricket drum. I know that T20 shouldn't play any um, part in that. I know lots of people disagree with me, but gosh, he's a good player and exciting to watch. Uh, one of the most enjoyable um, hour and a half of cricket, hours and a half of cricket I've seen in quite some time. Oh, well, Paul, what a chipper attitude you've brought. <laughs> I was surprised they played it on a Sunday afternoon and not on a Sunday night for the TV ratings. They did get a disappointing crowd of 16,268. Uh, very disappointing. You know, when they get 30 grand in there for strikers games and Australia's putting out their best side, I thought that was a bit short. It's hard. I was hearing Kevin Roberts uh, of Cricket Australia during the week talking about how they still don't have really a tradition in Australia of watching uh, international cricket in October, and it's something that they're trying to build. It's not the greatest draw card, a, a sort of a meaningless three-match series against Sri Lanka, who uh, you know regularly towel us up when we play them over there. But over here, they haven't got a great record. So I think all things considered, 16,000 would have been about what they're budgeting for. Not a disaster, but I just think it's it's not quite where it should be. So let's look at the Aussie team that they put out, Paul. You know, what did you think of the 11 that Australia went with? You know, they had Warner and Finch, then Smith, Maxwell, Turner, and then Carey at six, two spinners, Zampa, Agar, then the three quicks, Richardson, Cummins and Stark. What did you think of that balance? Yeah, for a rare instance, I'm almost in concert with the selectors. It's um, it's disturbing, but I thought it was a wonderful side. Uh, I'm such a big fan of Ashton Turner and Glenn Maxwell. And I think that Carey at number six is really interesting and, and good because if Australia are four for 50, as seen in the World Cup, he can build an innings and, and resurrect an innings. But I think both him and Steve Smith are more uh, power, are better at power hitting than a lot of people give them credit for. 
And if he does come out with three overs to go and needs to hit a lot of sixes, he can. And I really like that, that we've got some power-packed uh, batting in the bowling as well. What about Hazelwood? Do you think that he should figure in the Australian uh, World Cup T20 side? Yeah, I, I think they need to move out Kane Richardson and bring in someone else. I think Hazelwood's definitely an option. Jai Richardson, another option. I think if Jason Berendorf recovers in time for the World Cup next year, he's someone that can be that third quick. So there's a lot of uh, you know people that could be considered for that role. But one thing that sort of stood out for me yesterday was that Steve Smith is a little bit of an enigma at T20 international level in that I'm not sure we've really found the best spot for him. If he can't come in to accelerate and he's only going to come in when we get off to a poor start, you know, is that the role we want for Smith? I mean, I actually think I have a revolutionary idea that Steve Smith should be opening in both forms of white ball cricket. I think that's where he'd be most effective, but it's, it's made complicated by the fact that Aaron Finch is there, the captain. I'm really comfortable with how they've got it. I think it's great. And I think that there are many one days, many T20s where 130 is going to be a good score and you need the class of someone like Steve Smith. You just to, can't to get you there. Exactly. You just can't go in. And he did that many times in the 50 over World Cup. He and Kerr, as I said before, were resurrecting the innings and playing really well. So I, I think it's perfect that he slides down the batting order when we're off to an absolute cracking start. In the end, as I said, if he does come in with a few overs to go, uh, I think his power hitting is underestimated. I mean, he is the best batsman in the world. He can hit the ball a long way when he needs to. So a few other things to uh, pop up from that game, a few stats that will interest you, Paul. David Warner has now joined Shane Watson and Glenn Maxwell as the only three Australians to score a century in all formats. There's been a huge innovation on Fox Cricket, Paul. Massive. I don't know if you've seen this, but they, they turned the Manhattan, that classic graph that shows you runs per over, and they've turned it sideways. What an innovation. Yeah, I saw that, and you might be intrigued by this. I don't have an opinion on that. Um, I'm quite happy for them to do that. I'm quite happy for them to revert to the old one as well. Yeah, I do have an opinion <laughs> that looking at it, I actually think it works better as the Manhattan because you, you see it like the peaks and the valleys. You can The Manhattan tells its own story, whereas I felt turned on its side, it didn't quite have that effect. Yeah, I mean, I refer you to my previous statement. I'm, I'm kind of calm with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the last one is uh, Rajita for Sri Lanka, an unwanted record, the most expensive figures by a bowler in T20 cricket, none for 75 off four overs. And uh, I was thinking last night, it reminded me of when Mickey Lewis went for like 100 against South Africa 15 years ago in a 50-over game, and you were like, well, this is never going to get beaten. And then some bloke's gone for 75 in four overs. Yeah, when you're getting absolutely slaughtered, you tend not to get your full compliments. So I uh, just, I think everyone watching felt a bit sorry for him. But overall, I think a good start for the T20 side as they start the slow build up to the World Cup. Confidence boosting win, but still, uh, you know, a lot of cricket this summer in T20 cricket to really test them out. An emphatic start, and I, they were vastly better than I expected, and I expected they'd be good. On that form, if they play to that level, they'll win the World Cup. There's no one that can touch them at that level. Um, bring out India, bring out England, anyone. Australia will blow them away if they play that way. Let's ink it in already. Australia going to win the World Cup of T20 cricket. Paul is feeling boisterous <laughs> and on top of the world today. And in that note, I think we should get straight into the, the week of cricket headlines. So, Paul, the big news in the last couple of weeks has been the 100 
this competition being launched in England. And I, I want to talk about the, the Australian players that have been signed. But before that, I just want to say that I'm a massive fan of the 100 concept now. Initially, I was, like most people, sceptical and I questioned why you needed to create a new format. But now that I've accepted it's basically T20 cricket but with five ball overs... Uh, I think it's a great idea because it's a point of difference from all the other T20 competitions in the world. Sure, it could have been the 120, but I don't mind it. And what is making me like it more is this this sort of uh, very vocal opposition to it where, you know, they're carrying on like this is the, the biggest crime in international cri- – in cri- this is the biggest crime in cricket. But I just think it's not that bad. It's just, a, you know, 20 balls less. So yep. it makes me want to like it more. I see where you're coming from, and I'm tending to agree with you. And I, I come back to my own scepticism about the Big Bash. And I remember one of the first Big Bash games I went to at the SCG, probably a curmudgeonly old, angry person, even at that relatively young age, thinking we had a perfectly good state league, we don't need this. And suddenly the uh, ground announcer said, OK, that was the end of the over, let's dance. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to dance. I'm here to watch the cricket. And then all Are of a we sudden... doing our TikTok dance at the end of this podcast? <laughs> and all of a sudden... 20,000 people got up and danced and I looked around and all of them were kids and I thought, hang on, 20,000 kids turning up to watch the cricket. As a massive cricket fan, I can't help but be happy about this. This is getting the next generation in. I really hope the same thing happens in England. And for people who just love county cricket and can't stand this, just say, okay, but we want county cricket to be thriving in 30 years. We want English test cricket to be thriving in 30 years it's not that bad if you have a bit of razzmatazz and a bit of Americanism. And if it gets some kids involved who start to know some players' names, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, and I think we've seen it practically that the Big Bash has got little kids interested in a game that might have completely passed them by otherwise. And also older kids. I remember going out to the Big Bash a couple of years ago and seeing a group of uh, 20-year-olds on the train and, and they just look like cricket would be not something that they would find cool. These guys look like really cool kind of kids. <laughs> And I thought, these guys are going to the cricket. How good's that? That's fantastic. The cool kids getting into cricket. You heard it here first. <laughs> well, let's talk about the Aussies and where they've gone in the 100 draft. The Trent Rockets have signed Darcy Short and Nathan Coulter-Nile. Darcy Short going for the top bracket of 236K. He's going to make a nice little uh, earning for himself, uh, Darcy Short, in T20 cricket. Oh, for sure. That's 236K Aussie, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Southern Brave. David Warner, same price, 236k Aussie. The Northern Superchargers, which is Darren Lehman, Darren Lehman's side, Aaron Finch and Chris Lynn both went there. Welsh Fire have signed Steve Smith and Mitchell Stark. The Manchester Originals have sound <laughs> have signed Dan Christian. Just sounds like a band to me. <laughs> well, it's in Manchester. Yeah, exactly. What's their first hit single? The London Spirit have signed your favourite player, Glenn Maxwell. The Birmingham Phoenix have signed Adam Zampa. That's the team coached by Andrew McDonald. And the Oval Invincibles have seen it fit not to sign an Aussie. Coached by Tom Moody as well. So he decided that um, no Aussies were worth signing. Yeah, so uh, look, I don't think there were any big uh, Aussies that missed out. I'm a bit surprised Shane Watson didn't get a gig, but he might have put himself in a draft bracket that was a bit overpriced. Chris Gale was snubbed, obviously. Uh, Lassith Malinga, Kigizo Rabada. So some big names missed out. But uh, all in all, a big Aussie feel to this tournament. Yeah, definitely. Also... If you add in the the women's 100 as well, there are 15 coaches because one of the women's teams hasn't yet announced their coach, I don't think. Eight of the 15 coaches will be Australian, so that's pretty cool. 
I find it quite interesting that Gail is snubbed, and I think this shows how seriously they're already taking this tournament. The, this may be razzmatazz and excitement as far as the organisers are concerned, but the coaches just want to win. Back in the early days of the IPL and the Big Bash, there was kind of a feeling of just sign people to get people through the gates. Chris Gale gets people through the gates. So if you choose not to sign him, I think that shows that they're only they're only interested in um, cricketing success. And Gale is about 40-odd, maybe just starting to be on the wane a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it does come down to that interesting draft system where a lot of players had to nominate what price bracket they put themselves into. And if you went too high, you couldn't drop down. So, yeah, if you overvalued yourself, you are basically putting yourself uh, out of the running. And possibly deliberately. Some people might have said, well... Um, I'll only play for this much. Yeah, that's what I'd do. I'd say, you know, if you're not going to pay me um, 236k, I'm not turning up for anything less, and I'm quite happily stay in Australia. Well, that's my thoughts exactly, Paul, <laughs> and it's probably why we didn't get picked up. <laughs> now, the other cricket headline, it's all the big bash signings, Paul, and I wanted to talk about this last show, but we ran out of time. Let's go through the signings first, but, but I've got a hot take out of the big bash signings, so... For the Adelaide Strikers, they've signed Phil Salt from Sussex. Uh, obviously played with Jason Gillespie there, who's the Strikers coach. The Brisbane Heat have signed English star Tom Banton to play the first eight games. And then they have A.B. de Villiers to play the last six games and the finals. And, and I put it to you, Paul, you know, A.B. de Villiers coming for the last six games. Is that too late? What if the Heat lose six of their first eight games, then A.B. de Villiers is coming out to a sinking ship. Well, I just think it's a great signing. Obviously, it would have been better if he was going to be here for the entire tournament. But I think of all the signings that the Big Bash has ever had, he would be the one that would most make me, if I was 50-50 about going to the game, turn up because he can do things that no one else can do. And if he turns up and already the season for the for the Heat has, has gone out the back door, he'll still lift it. And if he turns up and they're flying, he'll lift that as well. Whenever he arrives, he's going to add to the crowd and to the interest, and that's great. They've got two Afghani players in Brisbane, Zakir Khan and Mujib Rahman, who was there last year. In the Melbourne Renegades, there are rumours that Andre Russell will be joining Mo Nabi and Harry Gurney as uh, an overseas player. The Melbourne Stars have signed Dale Stain, but they've lost uh, Dwayne Bravo and Liam Plunkett. The, the Perth Scorchers still have two international spots open, so if you're interested, send your resume to adamvogis.com. Um, the, the Thunder have signed Alex Hales from England and Chris Morris from South Africa. My takeaway from those signings is, Paul, that this is nowhere near enough big names to add to the competition for what it needs to really bounce back. It's a good start, but I think it's a, a long way short of what the competition needs. Yeah, I kind of agree with you, but then I was thinking about it and who else could they have got? I mean, the, the big problem is England and South Africa are engaged in a series the entire duration of the Big Bash. So getting someone out like Ben Stokes is just, it's just not possible. So I put it to you, who would you have signed if you could pick anyone else in the world other than, you know, obviously the Indians aren't available. Who else would you pick? Well, I just think there's a load of uh, exciting T20 players out there that could be um, signed up. And I'd like to see them, you know, a few more West Indians, just a few more of these T20 players for hire. Um, I think that it's just not enough. All right, let's get another opinion on this hot topic. I'm going to call Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun. Hi, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Sammy, it's Manners. You're on, on air. 
How oh, are yeah, you? Live. You're live. Now, I wanted to get you on. Obviously, I've missed you and um, yeah. wanted to talk to hear your lovely voice. But I've been going through the Big Bash signings for the upcoming summer. And my feeling is that it's still a bit thin for talent in the Big Bash. I think that they've started to sort of inject some big names, but it, it hasn't quite gone enough. They haven't quite gone far enough yet. What do you think? No. Oh, not for, oh, it's certainly an improvement. Um, so I think from that point of view, it certainly gets a tick. I mean, I, I can't see too many cricket fans that are going to miss the opportunity to, you know, to watch AB de, de Villiers or Dale Spain. It's disappointing they don't overlap. It would have been great to see those two um, face each other. But it's certainly a lift on probably last year, probably the last three or four years, maybe even since Chris Gale was around, I think, at BBL 05. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty happy with the talent they brought in, to be honest, Bennett. Yeah, you're pretty happy with it. I just think they probably need a few more names in there. You know, the Scorchers are yet to sign their two players. So I think mm. that's somewhere where we could see a couple of names come in. Um, and then there's players like Tom Banton and Phil Salt that we don't know much about. Yeah, and they're the ones I think fans are going to um, latch on to. I mean, how many Adelaide Strikers fans have heard of Rashid Khan before his summer down under? Not many had heard of Sandy Blamashano from Nepal who came to the Stars last year. So I don't think that the clubs are necessarily chasing these big box office marquee names when there's so many scouts now looking at all these T20 leagues across the world that can find a player that might be not, that might not be a household name, but that can actually win games for the franchise. So, Tom Banton, one of those players. I mean, Michael Vaughan says he's an absolute superstar. Not many people have seen him here, but I think he's one that you know could really take the league by the scruff. So I, I wouldn't judge the, the overseas almost before we've seen them because there might be a few hidden gems, I think, um, sitting beneath the surface. Well, I'm looking forward to it. One of the issues, Sam, is that England and South Africa are engaged in international cricket for the entirety of the Big Bash. So that sort of mm. rules some of them out. I would have thought that if they were, Ben Stokes comes across as someone who should be signed in terms of his cricketing um, ability and his draw card status. Would you think there'd be any reservations amongst the Big Bash um, in signing him in terms of trying to have a, a right fit um, with the image of the Big Bash? I think the, um, the, the first bridge across is just get our own stars. I mean, before we start sort of harvesting all, all those countries, and you know, the, 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 the cricketing calendar, it's like, it's, it's like a 3D game of chess. It is so hard with so many moving pieces. But if you can... Oh, I think we just need to create the window for, um, you know, Warner, Smith, um, Stark, Cummins to play. I think that's what the Aussie fans want more than anything. Um, there is so much cricket crammed in. There's workload issues as much. And there's, and there's obviously clashes with the international summer. This year we should see a little bit more of that, hopefully. But I, I think if CA really wants to be bashed to be the best it can be... We just want to watch our own stars play. I agree, Sammy. I think this summer we'll have the white ball players available for the Big Bash until they go to India for that mm. two-week tour, and then they'll all be available after that. So I actually think we will see a lot more of Australia's best players available for this Big Bash. What about uh, Andre Russell? Is that confirmed yet? Uh, not confirmed by the club, but I think the deal is just about done. Um, so they're, they're still just dotting the eyes and crossing the... So uh, dotting the eyes and crossing the T's. But, yeah, you can lock him into the Melbourne Renegades. Great story by Ben Horn last week. So, again, he's coming back to the Renegades. He was obviously there a few years ago, I think, for a season as well. So, you know, he'll bring a, a fair bit of flair. And uh, another important point for this summer is I know that this is why Cricket South Africa was able to release Dale Stane to play a handful of games. Is that It's just great preparation for a World Cup in the same conditions in 12 months' time. So there is that added bit of sort of importance this summer not only for our domestic stars, but for some of the international guys who are, you know, going to get some some really good practice on, on these wickets twelve months out from a, from a World Cup. 
Yeah, I agree. Hopefully a few more players will be tempted in the next couple of months to sign a deal with the clubs. Um, what did you make of Australia in the T20 yesterday? What a, what a performance. Yeah, it looks pretty powerful when we've got all, all the big names together, doesn't it? I mean, um, that was obviously, you know, Steve Smith didn't bat, but that was his first T20 since the, since the World Cup in 2016. So it's just nice to see all the names on the one sheet of paper. Um, it, it looks pretty dangerous. The top six from a batting point of view is really powerful. I like that they're going to go down the specialist route. You know, Ashton Turner didn't get much of a go yesterday, but him and Ben McDermott and Alex Carey sort of in that middle order, you know, it's, it's pretty scary. So... 20 games to go into the World Cup. We, Australia's never really been a force in this format, but my goodness, if um, yeah, if, if this group of 14, 15 guys can get most of those games together and really gel, it's, they're going to be a really good chance to, to finally win this thing, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Do you think Steve Smith could get squeezed out of the 11 in the next 20 games? I think it's unlikely. Um, I mean, there was, it was bizarre. Before the World Cup, there were similar questions from some quarters as well. You know, is he a one-day player? Um, yeah, you just have to look at you know the the batsmanship he showed in that semi final. I, I think he's a certainty. He started the IPL slow this year, but he really hit some form in the past five or six games. I, I think he's certainly a T20 cricketer. I think he's he's going to be a little bit of a floater. I mean, if we get off to a good start like we did like like yesterday, then you know Maxwell's going to come in the three and maybe Turner above him as well. So as long as he's prepared to to potentially bat down the order in different situations, uh, I think he's a, a lot to be there. Well, what about you, Menace? Yeah, I'm not so sure. Like, I, I do think he's probably going to fit in there, but he just does look a bit out of place when, you know, he's amongst all those power hitters and he doesn't quite have that same game. But, yeah, I think the jury's still out. I think he's got to put in some big performances for Australia, and if he does, he'll stay. I'm with you, Sam. I think it's, he's an absolute certainty, and I don't think the jury's out at all. And I think that if we're one for 100, he floats down, and that's perfect. Okay, Sammy. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's great to hear from you. Although this, the podcast is not sponsored by News Corp anymore, it's great that you're still jumping on. So thanks for talking to us. No, pleasure, anytime. No, absolute pleasure. Check out his work at heraldsun.com.au. That was Sam Landsberger, gun cricket reporter, and we'll chat to him during the summer. Well, listeners, that was the week's cricket headlines. Coming up after the break, Jason Gillespie. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menes. I'm here with Paul. And now we have an extra special guest. He is a former Australian fast bowler. He's now coaching Sussex and the Adelaide Strikers. I'm speaking, of course, about Jason Gillespie joining us on the show now. Jason, I want to touch on the Adelaide Strikers. There's been a few changes to the Big Bash for this summer. We've got uh, five teams making the final and a double chance for the top two. What do you think of those changes? Yeah, look, I'm a fan of those. Um, Look, I I wasn't completely sold on the previous system of uh, just a straight two semis. Um, Didn't necessarily think that rewarded the the top team for performing well throughout the whole tournament. This this gives the, the team that finishes top and now the team that finishes second that double chance, really. I think, you know, if you think about it, those teams have probably earned the right, you know, having performed well throughout the whole tournament. I think with five teams as opposed to four contesting finals, um, hopefully towards the back end of the tournament, there won't be, uh, won't be too many uh, games that, you know, the results don't matter because teams are well and truly out of the tournament we're hoping for a nice close contest that going into the last rounds of of the bbl that you know all teams will be able to qualify for finals yeah i agree i think as well the way they've 
structured the final. So, you know, for the fifth team to win the tournament, they would need to win a series of back-to-back matches, I think four, um, whereas, you know, the top two sides just need to win two. So I think they've weighted the finals in an appropriate way that's fair. Yeah, look, I think so. I think, as I said, it rewards the teams that perform well consistently throughout the whole Big Bash program, um, which I think is fair. And, yeah, the, the team that scrapes in, I suppose, yeah, they've got a bit of work to do, but, look, they, they'd want to have a chance and, you know, basically all their games are elimination, which which is fine. And I think that it kind of emulates a little bit that, AFL footy finals, doesn't it? You know, teams that finish low, lower down in the final series are, are basically playing eliminators the whole time, and and uh, teams in the top four, you know, do get do get that double chance. Yeah, and they've also made the the tournament more compact and pushed the games closer together. I guess double a double barrel question. You know, how is that going to change your coaching, and is it making it easier to sort of sign overseas players? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it can potentially make it easier to sign overseas players. Uh, a lot of players, it seems that players don't want to spend too much time away from home uh, in these tournaments because you hear a lot of these uh, players come out and say, oh, you know, I can come for part of the tournament, I can't be there for the whole tournament. You've got family commitments or got other commitments going on. And that's fine. Um, which it does tend to be the older players that, that, that do uh, have those uh, criteria associated with their um, with their contracts. Um, so that potentially could help that. But I also think, like last year, I, I remember we had a, at one point, we had a nine-day break between games. And, and I just think in the in the extended big bash, I think that was just too many days between games. Um, I think this year, I think the proposed, the, 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 the structure, I think we, we do at one point have three games in five days. And look, it's, I mean, it's easy for me being a coach, so yeah, we can handle that and players can handle that. But, you know, having coached and played a lot in the in England in county cricket, three T20 games in five days is, is pretty standard. So, um, it, you know, I don't necessarily think it is that that much of a stretch. I, I think the, the added uh, difficulty in Australia is travel, but if you're playing a couple of home games and one away game in a five-day period, yeah, while, while it is a, a fair amount of cricket, it, it's very doable. Um, and, and I think the players, you know, players are fit and strong and, and adaptable, and I'm sure they can, uh, they can handle that workload. On that point, it's not an issue this summer because Australia's going to be overseas, but if there is in the future the Australian one-day team or T20 international team playing games during the Big Bash, as a coach of a franchise, would you support the um, franchise players dipping out playing for the country and then coming straight back and, and having an increased workload that way? I'm okay with it. I, I, I think, you know, what we want, we want adaptable players. And, and you know, players, as I said, they are fit and strong. I mean, I think you need to uh, have a case-by-case case basis, you know, certain players. Like, if you use an example, a very simple example, if you've got a fast bowler dipping in and out, you might find ways of whether, you know, is it in his best interest to play a a 50-over game for his country and then travel and play the next day for his franchise. You'd probably think about, you'd think about that, maybe maybe rest that player. But certainly a, a batsman, more often than not, uh, they'd be pretty keen to keen to strap the pads on and go again. And um, So I think it, you'd have to work it on a case-by-case basis, uh, by and large, I think. 
Cool. And just lastly, for me, um, we've been focusing a fair bit uh, discussing about the new 100 in England. You've had a great yep. experience in England. You'd be aware of that there's a lot of scepticism from a, you know, a lot of um, diehard traditional cricket fans. What's your view on the 100 and do you think it'll end up being a success? Yeah, look, it's, look I can understand some scepticism uh, because with all due respect to the ECB, I don't think they've handled the whole release of this 100 particularly well or as well as they could have done. Um, you know, there's been leaks of what's what's going to be about the, the game. You know, so I just think the media and marketing department of the ECB, um, you know, basically could have handled it a little bit better. Um, as for the actual concept itself, look, I'm, look, I'm very much open to trialling things and, and seeing, seeing how they go. And, um, you know, look, I, I, I've quoted, been stated publicly saying that, that I, I'm... I'm really interested to see how the 100 goes. What you do have to understand, and, and I know, look, the ECB are looking to derive new audiences in for uh, for cricket. And, um, you know, in, in that concept, I'm, I'm happy. Um, I think a lot of the scepticism arises from the fact that England have just won the 50-over World Cup and now they're potentially going to marginalise a 50-over Royal London competition in England by playing that Royal London competition at the same time as the 100 ball comp, um, which in in Sussex County Cricket Club, the team I coach's situation, out of our squad of 20 players that we've got, 11 of them are going to be associated with um, 100 ball franchises. So we're basically going to have nine players to pick from for the 50 over competition. Um, so that could be a bit of a challenge. Um, you might have to, so play. Be, you might have to make a comeback, Dizzy. Well, I might have to dust the boots off, I think. But, uh, but look, we're, we're genuinely going to have to look at uh, giving opportunities to some of our lads in our academy uh, set up at, at Sussex, uh, potentially sign a, a couple of players on short-term 50-over uh, contracts, uh, basically to be able to field a side um, in this 50-over competition that, you know, we've heard a lot of rumours and innuendo how it's going to play. You know, there was talk it was going to lose its list A status, um, which effectively would make it a second eleven competition. So there's a bit of scepticism around all that. Um, but as for the actual hundred ball comp, look, I'm, I, look, I'm all for innovation. Um, what what everyone's got to understand, and what what people have got to realise is how excited the players are about it. I know a number of the players who actually played in the trials last year at Trent Bridge in in September of 2018, and there was some 50 uh, hundred ball trial matches and. The players absolutely loved playing the games. They, they were really excited. Uh, they, tactically, it was uh, you know they had to think about things and and, yeah. and adjust. And uh, all the players, you only have to speak to players around the counties and about you know leading up to this hundred ball draft. And um, there was a lot of interest um, from a lot of players um, and the excitement around being involved in something that's new and exciting. So. You know, I think people have to understand that, that actual players are, are really excited about playing this competition. Yeah, excited about the money they're going to get. Um, what, Dizzy, tell me about Phil Salt. So you brought him over from Sussex to uh, play yep. for the Adelaide Strikers. What can the Aussie fans expect to see from Salty? Well, I, I think for Salty, like, look, he's, a, he's an exciting young uh, top-order player. Um, he's, he's had... Uh, Quite a bit of success last couple of years opening the batting with Luke Wright at Sussex in the in the T20 Blast. 
Um, you know, his strike rate is, you know, up around 160, opening the batting. Wow. Um, and I think he's averaged the last two years, high 30s, maybe 40 runs per innings, uh, to strike rate of 160. So, wow. you know, the, the, the kid's got a bit about him. He's, uh, he's a gun fielder. He hits the ball as hard as anyone going around. Uh, he's a great kid. Uh, you know, and look, you know, we touched on availability of uh, overseas players. I'm, I'm a big believer uh, where possible. You know, if it's you know between a couple of players and one's available for only half the tournament, but one can play is available for the full tournament, I would most likely go with the player that's going to be available for the full tournament. And what are you identifying for the strikers this year? You know, defending champs last year didn't go so well. What what are you working on for this season? Oh, we, we just want to play as consistent cricket as we can. We want to make sure that we can adapt. The surfaces can change. You know, ground dimensions can change from game to game. And, you know, I, that's what we implore all our players is to is to adapt to conditions, communicate well, um, you know, and, and just implement our skills as best we can. Um, you know, we, the lads put the hard work and the effort in. Um, but, you know, look, I'm a big believer in going out there and entertaining the fans uh, with a smile on your face. We are in the entertainment business. There's no doubt about that. You know, having your overseas players for a lot of the tournament, I think, puts you, you know, pretty well placed to make a significant challenge at the Big Bash this year. You must feel pretty confident. Yeah, look, we're excited. Um, we just want to go and play good cricket, really. Uh, we know our fans are wonderful supporters. You know, we get a, you know, a a great crowd at Adelaide Oval each and every game that we play. Yeah, more than the Aussies got yesterday. Yeah, well, well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the strikers supporters, you know, we feel, we, we believe strongly that we've got the best supporters in the country. Well, Jason, you have been so generous with your, with your time. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I know I can speak for Paul, who's still here, that, you know, we loved watching you play and, uh, you know, we love what you've done since you stopped playing. And, it, yeah, it's just great to talk to you. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure to talk to you, boys. Oh, Paul, how good was it to talk to Dizzy Gillespie on the podcast? Absolute highlight. One of the very finest bowlers Australia's produced and in my era, which starts in the mid-80s, I think he'd be right on the cusp of selection in an all-time Australian side for that era. So a real pleasure talking to the great man. We actually did a quite an in-depth interview with Jason about his playing career and we're going to release that later in the week, the full interview with Jason Gillespie. So stay tuned for that. Plenty more to come with Dizzy. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with the social media segment. But before that, I just want to ask you, if you have a moment, please do Paul and I a favour and go and rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on. And if you do a review, email it in or send it in via social media and we'll read it out on the next podcast. All right, coming up after the break, our social media segment. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Now we're going to have a, a, a lovely look at the world of social media. And Menas, I'm going to hand it over to you first. So, Paul, I just want to take the listeners behind the scenes of our relationship a little bit. And, you know, a week and a half ago, you sent me a message about your Twitter bio that you were updating it now that you were becoming a co-host on the podcast. And uh, I philosophically wrote back that, uh, you know, I didn't think it was a good idea to put on your bio 
you know, what shows you'd been a guest on, you know, BBC, Talk Sport, whatever it was. And uh, I gave you that advice and we, you know, traded messages for a while. And, uh, you know, you did your Twitter bio after that. And, uh, you know, I looked at your Twitter bio and you put where you were a guest on. And then, you know, da- a few days later, I thought, actually, I think I'm wrong on this, Paul. And after telling you not to put who you were a guest on, I started, you know, trying to fit as many appearances <laughs> in my Twitter bio as I could. But what do you think the etiquette is around that? If, you know, if you're a listener out there and you're wondering what to put in your Twitter bio, what should you put in? I think if you're an established star, you can be um, normal and natural and <laughs> modest. And <laughs> If you try hard like us. If you try hard like us. <laughs> You've got a balance between sounding like a complete moron and not self-promoting enough. And unfortunately, in this modern era, you have to err towards sounding like a self-absorbed, a self-absorbed moron. So, um, but it is a generational thing, isn't it, Paul? Our age, I think, we were brought up in an era where self-promotion was kind of frowned upon. Whereas, you know, we've sort of switched now into this more American philosophy where self-promotion is encouraged. It's kind of like writing a resume. You want to get a, you want to. Big yourself up as much as you can without it sounding horribly false and overblown. But you go close to that line. (laughs) Well, look, I just want to, on record, on air, apologise for sending you those messages. I think some of them were pretty harsh, saying, why would you want to do that? And then literally a few days later, I did. Here's my new bio. I thought, you've just caught against all your own advice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, let's let's get on to the social media news, Paul. All right. One of the things I really enjoyed in the last week was a uh, a post put out by ABC Grandstand and it had footage of David Warner listening to the radio call that Drew Morfitt and the late great Drew Morfitt and Jim Maxwell had done a decade ago when David Warner played that amazing breakthrough T20 innings that first got him into the spotlight. And it was just wonderful seeing his reaction. I sometimes think that sporting stars, especially during their career, might not realise how skillful great radio broadcasting can be. Warner's face, obviously, you won't be able to see it, but it lit up during this. And a player grab for you now. I just really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. He is 46 and is a boundary away from one of the fastest 50s you've ever seen. Staying oh, he lost it. Here it is. It's another six. Oh, a kid on the boo, a 22-year-old, plucked from nowhere to play for Australia. What a performance. Dallas tries again. Warner explodes. Oh, oh. He's hit it big. He's hit it long. Way into the crowd. That's a home run. Oh. How many sixes is that, Gerard? Warner, six. Six sixes. He's 76 not out. Gee, he got under that. Whoa. Obviously fantastic to hear that back. That's the first time I've actually heard it um, played back. By commentators off the, the ABC, um, yeah, still sends shivers down my spine. Sends shivers down my spine listening to it, Paul. Yeah, and anyone who, if the ABC social media team are listening, uh, more of that would be fantastic. I really thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, second one up is Prime Minister of Australia Scott Morrison sent out a tweet in support of Tourism Australia's video that they're doing now. Next year, Australia is hosting the T Twenty World Cup. And Tourism Australia, I think quite correctly, is trying to appeal to Indian fans to say, sort of, come to Australia for the cricket and stay for the enjoyment of Australia. So um, I'll play you a quick quick grab of the, uh, of the ad. So what it does, it features um, Harsha Bogle and Shabani Dandika 
commentating as though it's cricket, but the footage that you see. So when you hear Harsha talk about the pitch is pretty bouncy, you can see kangaroos jumping. So just play a very quick grab of that ad. This is Harsha Bogle. I'm Shibani Dandika, and this is the match we've all been waiting for. It's a beautiful day, and the covers are off. The pitch looks lovely. A little bouncy, so we can expect a cracker of a game. That's a brilliant cricket we're witnessing here. Come celebrate the game and fall in love with Australia. What do you think of that, Menas? Oh, I'm ready to go to Australia and watch some cricket. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I will say, though, that judging from the 50-over World Cup in 2015, there was a huge number of Indian tourists that came, not just from India, but from the uh, west coast of America. I think we'll see the same for the T20 World Cup. Next up, Steve Waugh. He is on Instagram and he sends out pretty uh, standard posts doesn't really engage in much debate and uh, you may well be aware that over the years Shane Warne especially is always sniping at him. Ian Chappell has relentless criticism of criticism of him. They call him selfish and say that the way he batted with the tail was to um, preserve his own not out, that he'd give them the strike not out of any reason other than trying to get red ink. And I think as well with Steve Waugh, I don't think he'd even be on social media if it wasn't for his um, charity work that he's done. I mean, he seems to be, you know, doing a lot of it to support his captain's run and stuff. So, you know, that's what most of this is about when he's on social media. Exactly. And that's what these two posts um, were slightly outside that norm. And that's what uh, it piqued my interest. And it was almost like... Nothing gets past Paul Dennett. (laughs) Not a page of Dizzy Gillespie's book... Not a tweet from Steve Wall. It was very subtle, I thought, that he was making a point back against those guys. Um, One of them, he's got out a little uh, post where um, most wins as captain after 50 tests. Now, Virat Kohli's just um, come up with 50 tests as as captain, uh, and he has 30 wins, just above Viv Richards' 27. In second place, Ricky Ponting, 35. And in first place, Steve Waugh, 37. And he wrote... Cricket is a game of endless statistics. Always good when it's positive. Proud of the way, proud of the away record of the teams I captained. And the other one, the most telling one, that someone had sent out a stat saying, partnership runs with the tail, that is for the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th wickets. And Steve Waugh, with 4,102, has had more partnership runs with the tail than any batsman in the history of Test cricket. And he sent out... Loved batting with the lower order. Seeing them score runs was more satisfying than scoring them myself. And I think that's a lovely little uh, gentle retort to the, the narrative that Warren and Chapelli have been pushing. I'm Team War all the way. Me too. The Rugby World Cup semi-final, England beat New Zealand. England obviously also beat New Zealand in the Cricket World Cup final in heartbreaking circumstances um, for New Zealand. Jimmy Neesham, who's never short of amusing things to say, New Zealand all-rounder Jimmy Neesham, sent out a tweet just after New Zealand lost, and he just said, I think that just about covers it. And he has a screenshot of his own Twitter account where he has muted the words 2019 forever, and he's muted the word England forever, and he's muted the word the, with the term World Cup forever. Well, I might do add England to my muted words list as well, Paul. And that tweet went viral. It got tens of thousands of likes and so there you have it um if you've got any uh, messages to send to us send them to me on twitter at the underscore summer underscore game or send them to at oz cricket pod that is a us cricket pod 
or Menas, where can they send them to you? Well, you're right. That's Oz Cricket Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And go to the Instagram because I've I've shared a couple of photos in the last couple of days. One hilarious one of Mark Taylor dressed up for Halloween and his birthday. Another one's got our Indian cricket correspondent there, so you can have a look at him. So yeah, go to at Oz Cricket Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Amenas A M E N E R S. You can find me on Instagram. At Amen as Cricket, uh, but definitely go to at Oz Cricket Pod and for Twitter and Instagram for all the information. Well, Paul, I think we've come to the end of our second episode together of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much for coming back, even though I gave you a, a missteer with the Twitter bio. Thanks, man. It's always a pleasure, and it's been a great second episode to, to be with you. Thanks, listeners, for listening, and stay tuned for the full interview with Jason Gillespie coming soon. 